Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more as well as full transcriptions of each podcast episode at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. This summer, I'm adding a co-host, fellow author Kate Carius Quinn. We'll be doing a series that focuses on hybrid and indie authors. If you're thinking of going the self-pub route, we've got authors who found success with six-figure sales, as well as authors who are just starting out on the road to indie publishing. Learn from them. Learn with us. Today's guest is Glenn Dyer, author of the Connor Thorne series. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate ebooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum, create beautiful books. Glenn, I'm Mindy. Uh, I know you listen to the show, so hello. Mm-hmm. And um, Kate, Kate is my co-host for our summer episodes. Um, I invited talking- myself on the show. <laughs> she did. She completely invited herself onto the show. Which do you want to want to tell Glenn how that came about? Um, I try to run Mindy's life and sometimes she lets me, um, (laughs) um, right now I'm working on trying to get her to get a puppy. Pet adoptions are, you know, through the roof. Normally I adopt from shelters and you literally can't get a dog right now. Yeah. Isn't that great news, huh? It's wonderful news. It's lovely. Except my dog passed away right at the beginning of the epidemic. And Uh, I am a girl who's always had a dog, grew up with dog, multiple dogs, you know? And and so I lost my dog and I've been on like a mission to get a dog. And there's been various mishaps that Kate and I have been sharing over the episodes here. But Mm -hmm. Glenn, we're uh, using your episode here in the summer series to talk with uh, self-published and indie published Mm -hmm. authors. First of all, I just want to mention your titles. You have The Torch Betrayal, which is a World War II spy thriller. Your main uh, character is called Connor Thorne. And then you also have, don't you have a second title out? I was just looking. Uh, Actually, it'll be out uh, June 9th. It's called The Ultra betrayal second oh. in in the series very nice okay nice. so first question then why did you decide to go the route that you went did you take a shot at traditional publishing and just decide it wasn't for you or did you always know that you wanted to go the indie route what i took a shot at was you know the, the first step in uh, traditional publishing and that was uh, trying to uh, get an agent interested in uh, representing me Mm-hmm. And uh, I gave that a, a, a number of months, and I, I think I sent out close to 200 query letters. I got a fair amount of interest 
uh, and responses, uh, maybe 20 or so uh, requests for either uh, sample chapters or full manuscripts. And I was hopeful in the beginning, but as, as uh, time went on, you know, you have to admit that agents are looking for stories that they feel they can sell, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they, they know that there's a, a potential publisher that they're already aware of that likes the types of stories that they buy. I guess my story at that point in time just didn't feel like it was something that would be easy to sell. Uh, that's my you know interpretation of how things played out. Mm-hmm. But I gave it, I gave it a good good go. Gave it enough time to percolate. Uh, but one other factor uh, made me decide to just move on from the process is the fact that I'm in my early sixties, turning sixty seven this year. And I and I felt like you know I, I I can't wait another year to find an agent and then have the agent possibly not be able to uh, get the book placed with a publisher. So right. I just decided that you know I, I I'd like to get the story out there, see how people react to it. I started my own company as the imprint and just uh, dove uh, headfirst into the independent publishing business and found that it was uh, it was both exhilarating and also kind of scary because there's there's a lot of moving parts to it but the fact that I had given it a, a good try coupled with my age I just said all right let's go let's let's see what happens and mm-hmm. and of course I I think that you know if you have some success selling your titles you know you can always revisit the whole process of getting an agent you, you could present reviews, you can present sales figures, and maybe that, that might convince somebody down the road. I haven't given it much thought lately because of uh, I've been so busy with the launch of book two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I gave it a try and it was just, uh, I guess I got a little impatient and I just wanted to to get the book out there and, and see uh, what people thought of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's and a I really think- great point that... Um, Traditional publishing can be a very long, slow process. It really Mm -hmm. moves at its own speed. I mean, you could spend a year or longer querying an agent. And the second book I ever queried, actually, I went back and forth with an agent. She was super, super nice. She gave me two R&Rs where they ask you to revise and resubmit to them. And mm-hmm. you got on the phone with me. She gave me extensive notes. It was amazing. It was, I mean, the time that she gave me was so good. And so I actually ended up doing two of those R&Rs for her, two massive rewrites. And the time that this was going on, I had my second child. <laughs> like, yeah. I, had oh, a, wow. I, I made another human being <laughs> wow. in mm-hmm. the world over the length of this time. And at the end of it, so nice. She said to me, I feel like I'm torturing you. And I think this book is not the one. And sometimes you have to go through this to get to the book that is the one. And at that point, mm-hmm. I actually wasn't crushed because um, I was already writing my third book. And that is the one that I ended up um, finding an agent for and getting published. But, you know, that was that was a long, long time. And then, yeah. you know, you can be on submission with editors for years and that can be so drawn out and an editor might also um, ask you to revise and then you could do revisions for them and 
they could also still reject it. You know, the marketing right. people could be like, eh, not for us, you know, we got too much of this or whatever. So, um, and then of course, once they buy your book, usually another two years. So it is like yeah. such, it's, it's a drawn out process. You're not the only person that I've talked to who decided to go the self-publishing and the indie route due to their age. And I don't think that it's a mistake. I mean, like Kate said, she was in the um, back and forth with just even trying to get an agent for a few years. I actually queried for 10 years before getting an agent. Um, And partially that's my own fault because I didn't know what I was doing. But yeah, I mean, you're not the only person I know that has made the decision due to age. If I was, you know, back in my 30s and I had started this process then, I I might have hung in there with it for a few more years because um, I must admit, I think that there's uh, a bit of a a sense of pride that you were able to, one, get an agent and two, get a deal with a, a publisher to push your book out. I think that would be a pretty good feeling. But yeah, I would have I would have continued the process for a while longer if I was uh, younger. But yeah, age age was definitely a major factor for me. Mm-hmm. Kate, as a hybrid author, do you want to uh, drop any wisdom about the different levels of satisfaction you get from the different venues? I agree with you. I do think that there is something about you know having an agent choose you and selling your book that feels really really good. But I think that people tend to focus on those first two hoops. And after you get an agent and then after the publisher, you know, picks your book and gives you money for it, then they publish it. And then it's the biggest hoop and you have to get the audience to read it and you have to, you know, get people to discover it. I feel like that last part, we put it last instead of thinking like, really, the readers are the most important thing. And I think publishers obviously have a lot of reach to reach readers, but they don't use that reach for every author. You know, some authors get a lot of marketing and some don't, and there's no way usually to know if you are going to get a lot, you know, for mid list authors, it's, it's hard to break out. And so having switched to the indie side, not switched, I'm, I bounce back and forth, but on the indie side, I really like having more control and more levers to reach my audience and to play with price and to try um, different marketing strategies and to be able to see the numbers. And it's actually now a little frustrating on my traditional side. Like I'm like, oh, I can't see how many books I'm selling. Yeah. It's like, I can't see all that stuff. It's like curtain is drawn again. But I do think that there's some people who are always going to be like, oh, you're self-published, which is why I actually right. prefer the term indie publishing because Me too. Yep. indie publishing is like, this is a business and I am taking it mm-hmm. seriously. And I see this as a product and I have done it professionally. I think there needs to be more distinction through those. But obviously, you know, I was looking at your website. I was looking at your books. They look very professional. You have amazing reviews. Do you want to talk a little bit about getting those reviews? I saw you have a Kirkus review, you have some big names. Yeah. And that's a time consuming process, actually. I'll get into that. But I, I want to just say one thing, uh, Kate, I, I think if you are a hands on person, I think independent publishing is great. Because like you said, you, you can look at your sales figures, you can, 
you kind of know where you are. I've heard stories about writers who just, they don't hear enough from their agent. They don't hear enough from their publisher Mm -hmm. and they just don't know what the heck is going on. So if you're hands-on, this is definitely the way to go, but readers need help making decisions what to buy. My research about the whole independent publishing business is that reviews from readers, but also blurbs from other authors in the genre, professional review services who will give you an honest review. I just uh, heard so much about how important they were. There's a bit of an investment, but that's okay. If you're serious about what you're doing, you have to invest in your endeavors. As far as the reader reviews, I really worked very, very hard to get the, the reviews that I got. I should say the number of reviews that I got um, mm-hmm. to the point where I spent a lot of time trying to figure out who the reviewers were who reviewed similar titles. I was able to, they, uh, a program called uh, Book Review Targeter, I was able to scrape off uh, a number of email addresses. And I spent uh, days, day upon days over uh, a, a long period of time of reaching out to people, direct contact with them, asking them, would they mind reading my book and giving me an honest review? And, uh, you know, in some cases, I, I actually had to uh, send a book, but in, in many cases, people were willing to uh, uh, purchase the book and give me a review. And I, I really worked very, very hard at that because I learned the importance of honest reviews as far as helping people as they're uh, running around Amazon, uh, trying to make a decision, what do I read next? So That's impressive. That sounds like so much work because even when you're traditionally published, it is so hard to get reviews. And mm-hmm. I don't think you can go on Twitter and look at author tweets without at any time finding an author saying, if you want to thank an author whose work you love, the best way is to leave a review. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Begging for reviews is our part-time job. (laughs) It is. Begging for reviews. And that's something that I, um, I have a blog post that I recycle just about once a year. And it's like 10 free ways to support the authors you love. And that's the number one thing is uh, leave reviews and word of mouth. Word of mouth is a critical piece of how readers learn about books is from their friends and actual face-to-face conversations or, you know, tweets and texts to Mm -hmm. word of mouth and there's no data for it. So it's not something you can quantify, but it is to my mind, the most powerful recommendation machine. Now, I want to ask, because I'm looking at your reviews on here, one of the reasons that I thought you would be such a great guest on the show, and Kate already touched on it a little bit, is the reviews. But not only the reviews, but the quality of the reviewers. She mentioned you have Kirkus. You also have a Book Life review, which I want to ask about that. But you got Steve Barry. How did you get Steve Barry to review your book? First of all, there are a lot of people out there who hate to ask for things, and I'm definitely sure. one of those. Just have to say, oh, I, I just have to do this. I also approached it uh, with the attitude of nothing ventured, nothing gained. He writes a thriller. The genre I'm writing in is thrillers, although you know in a different time span. I ran into Barry at a uh, thriller fest convention in New York in uh, 2017. I attended one of his uh, seminars that were given over that weekend, and I found him to be very approachable. I just 
said, you know, let's see if he'll respond. I sent him an email, kind of reintroduced myself and mm-hmm. told him I ran into him at Thriller Fest and I've written this book. Uh, would he uh, mind taking the time to read it and maybe uh, give me a blurb? And I, I can't tell you how thrilling it was to get his email response saying, sure, send it my way. You know, couldn't believe it. I sent it to him. He gave me a great blurb and he's um, he's already read uh, book two and he's already given me a, a very nice, solid uh, blurb that I uh, plan to use either on the front or back cover. Who do I know? Who have I met? And if you can reach out to them with, it's sort of like a query letter for a, for a blurb mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. you know, there's something in it that's y- unique to that particular person, whether it's yep. comments about their own works and how, how important their writing has been to your development, things along those lines. And as long as it sounds sincere and, and it's truthful, I mean, you know, you, you've got a good shot at getting a pretty good response. I just sent out a request to another writer today who I really love. He, and he writes World War II mysteries, murder mysteries. He responded right away and said, yeah, sure, send it my way. And you never know until you ask. And if you do it in a proper way, respectful, et cetera, uh, I think you'd be surprised at how many writers out there want to help other writers. Very true. A lot of writers do want to help other authors. I am constantly receiving blurb requests, and uh, I've had to recently just say that I'm I'm unable because I literally can't read them fast enough. But um, if it's a debut, I will always say yes, send, and and let let me look at it because they need all the help they can get. I want to add the fact that because you had that personal introduction of saying, I met you at Thriller Fest. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that that helped you get the foot in the door to have Steve Barry go, yeah, sure, I'll take a look at it. Because number one, as you said, like a query letter, it has a personal touch to it. Yeah. But also you're showing Steve Barry that you're serious enough about your writing that you're going to cons. And yeah. that matters. I couldn't agree more. I think it really does. I think we can all get a sense when somebody's, not very sincere or, and I think that that is a big part of it. I don't know what you both think of this, but the the advice that you should attend at least one major publishing conference a year or workshop or something makes a lot of sense because the context you make, not only can they help you, but you might be in a position to help somebody else out. And I think that's just good karma when you feel like you can give back, whether it's helping them out figuring you know how to best market their books or tell me about your newsletters your newsletters are great you know mm-hmm. what can i do for mine and so on and so forth giving back makes a great deal of sense it does yeah, and on totally the other great. end of that as a published author i say yes to everything i'll do things for free if people will cover my flights i will mm-hmm. sometimes even if i have enough miles i will just fly myself to wherever the con is if they're asking me to be on a panel or whatever right. and because of this and kate can back me up whenever we go anywhere if kate and our mutual friend demetria is with us they'll be like can you introduce us to so and so do you know them and most of the time yeah i do just because i do so much stuff sometimes on my Mm -hmm. own dime that networking is invaluable even when you're on the other side yep without a doubt i'm a big believer in that in my prior career in broadcasting going to conventions two or three times a year where you can pull somebody aside and say 
your, your station's really doing great. Your ratings for your newscasts are off the charts. It wasn't always that way. What's the secret? What did you focus mm-hmm. on? I mean, mm-hmm. those kinds of conversations and interactions are invaluable. You, you can't put a price tag on them. Especially, I think, though, for writers, because we are so solitary and to be able to make connections with other writers and other authors who maybe are in the position to mentor you or maybe they're, you know, on the same place in the writing journey as you and you kind of have, you know, someone to walk along that road with and compare notes. And it's really rewarding at this point. I've been writing with the goal of publication since 07. And a lot of the early people who I met actually online, I didn't actually go to any conferences until I was published and went as like a published author because I just, I had two small children and I couldn't afford it. You know, I met lots of people online and now almost all those people, they're published. Um, You know, some of them are really successful indie authors. Some of them are published traditionally and it's really cool to see like how everybody has grown from being, you know, on these message boards, asking other people to read their query letters to this is their career now. And Kate, I wanted you, if we could circle back to reviews mm-hmm. one last time, you also have a book life review for mm-hmm. one of your indie titles. So if you could explain mm-hmm. what book life is for the listeners, and then um, if you and Glenn, either one of you have anything to say about whether you thought it helped with exposure, etc. I got a book life review for my first indie title that I published, which was um, a contemporary romance rom-com, uh, The Show Must Go On. I just actually found out that the audiobook is out now, which is very exciting. Audible picked it up for audio um, and produced it. I submitted it to Publishers Weekly, and you can submit it. You can either like pay them to get a review for sure, or you can just be like, please review my book. It's really good. And they might pick it or they might not. It was kind of a process. They like sent me an email, and they were like, your book is being considered. And I was like, Yay! And the, but then at the bottom, it's like, but this does not guarantee a review. And then there was like another email, I think that was like, someone's reading your book. And then at the bottom, it's like, but this does not guarantee a review. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, don't get your hopes up. And then they posted the review and it was a really good review. And it went into the Publishers Weekly has like a book life section. So yes, um, it they, is in the do. Publishers Weekly. Yeah, yep. it's in yeah. the print version of Publishers Weekly, which is, I would think, a pretty good boost as far as visibility. Of course, visibility doesn't always translate into sales. So I think it might have boosted my paperback sales. Um, My ebook is Amazon exclusive because it's in the Kindle Unlimited program, but I paperback is wide, so you can buy it at any bookstore that sells books. I think it boosted my paperback sales for quite a few months. Um, Not like huge. Like I just had some sales instead of zero. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, and this is a book that my agent gave me feedback on it. It went out on sub. It came really close a bunch of times. Editors liked it. And then it kept dying. And so it died in acquisitions, I think like three or four times. It's so tough to nail that down. uh, You know, I think there's so many factors uh, that come into play to pinpoint one review or even Mm -hmm. one promotion is very difficult. Although I will say that Mm -hmm. I first time out 
And there's there's a lot of luck involved in this, and I feel, I feel mm-hmm. very fortunate. I applied for a BookBub promotion, and I know that those are very hard to get. And wow. I can tell you that was uh, responsible for a, a ton of sales over a period of three to four weeks. So uh, wow. some things you can really point to. To get uh, back to the uh, book life and Publishers Weekly, I think there are certain names that carry a lot of weight with people in the publishing business, and I think readers too. Publishers Weekly and and its counterpart, uh, Book Life, Kirkus. After that, you've got New York Times Book Review or Washington Post Book Review, some mm-hmm. of the bigger uh, periodicals or newspapers. So, some of those really turn a lot of heads. And if you're lucky enough to get a, a decent review from those sources, it does legitimize your presence uh, out there amongst all the books that are competing for attention. Well, the other thing that I think definitely legitimizes you is your cover because your cover is strong. Did you find a designer to do this for you? As we all know, covers are so critical. I don't know exactly how I stumbled upon this, but in, in doing research online, I came across Joanna Penn, who uh, is a very successful entrepreneur, writer, has sold a lot of uh, both fiction and nonfiction books. Nonfiction books, you know, primarily centers around the publishing business. Uh, one of her fiction books cover really stood out to me. I bought the book and you, you find out uh, whether in the acknowledgments or on the uh, copyright page who designed the cover. And uh, so I reached out to that person. And I've been working with her for a couple of years now. She's actually based in Scotland. She's mm-hmm. really talented, willing to listen to your ideas, easy to work with. I really like the first cover. And the second cover is, you know, because it's a series, there's a lot of similarities to it. Sort of feel like I, again, got lucky and stumbled upon somebody who um, is really good at what they do. And I know mm-hmm. that there's a lot of writers who struggle with uh, the working relationship with their graphic designer. And, you know, they go back and forth and there's 15, 20 different versions of a cover and they just can't seem to get the one that they both like. And nailing a cover down for these two books was was so so easy. Her name is Jane Dixon-Smith. And uh, she does a great job. And and by the way, Mindy, I'm looking right now at your cover for Be Not Far From Me. And uh, mm-hmm. that's a great cover. And you've got some <laughs> other covers that really stand out too. But uh, Yeah, I've been incredibly fortunate. My um, my The same designer, the same book cover artist has done all of my books that mm-hmm. are from Catherine Teagan and HarperCollins. Uh, I had a different one for my Penguin books, but for all of my Harper books, which are seven of my nine releases, are the same designer, which is pretty amazing when you see the pretty wide expanse of genre and design style. Same woman doing all of that. She's really good. Her name's Erin Fitzsimmons. And you're right. I know a lot of a lot of authors that do go through back and forth and back and forth. Typically in the traditional world, we don't have a lot of control over our covers. I am very fortunate in that I have a great working relationship with both my editor and my cover designer. And we will, all three of us and my agent as well, look at it and say, well, what do we think? 
And they listened to my feedback partially because I was a librarian for 14 years. Mm -hmm. So I don't react emotionally. I'm not going to say, well, the cover is purple and I don't like the color purple. If purple is what is in right now in design, because it does go in waves in YA, then put a purple cover on it. If that's going to sell it, I don't care. Like I I can be practical about it. Something else that I wanted to ask you about, and one of the reasons I think is interesting to have you as a guest here is because historicals are kind of, they can be a tougher sell. There's a great joke in traditional publishing that got very old for me very quickly is that historically historicals don't sell. And I always found that so amusing. Every time I tried to pitch another historical, I would be like, just get the joke out of the way and then we can talk. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about self-publishing, indie publishing, ebook publishing, the big sellers categories is romance. Kate, what's the, what's the second one? It's romance. And is it mystery or? I think um, romance, thrillers, sci-fi. I think all those genres, I think genre Mm -hmm. fiction is what does really well. I think there is room for historical. I know in traditional, a lot of times, you know, you hear, oh, World War II books are overcrowded. It's very competitive. I think readers love them. Like, Right. You know, that's why there's a lot of war. Yeah, there's always a World War II book on the top of the charts. (laughs) It's uh, it's kind of one of those book conundrums where it's like, well, there's too many of them, but people love them, so maybe we should keep giving those to people. You know, that's kind of what I'm curious to ask you about. How do you find your readers then when you're in this kind of a sliver of readership that's going to be reading because. Another thing that I want to say, which I don't know if it's blanket true, but I know that it is true for, in most cases, like paranormal uh, romance and stuff like that. Readers that buy traditional books and that go to bookstores and browse and readers that are indie readers that are searching for ebooks and 99 cent buys typically is a different demographic. Indie readers typically aren't traditionally published readers as well. You, You don't always see both and you don't get a lot of crossover. So I'm just curious, how do you find readers that are indie readers that are ebook readers when you're in the World War II thriller category? That's a very difficult question to answer uh, because to be honest, I, I'm not sure that I've perfected any kind of a process in that regard. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, let's try this, let's try that. Being uh, active in online forums that specialize or focus on World War II, there's a uh, a Facebook group, Second World War Authors, that I'm a part of. I've also tried to, with some advertising, reach out to a specific group of people interested in World War II history by advertising in a magazine called World War II History. Uh, oh. So I, I've tried I've tried a lot of you know, different things. And just as I said before, sometimes it's so difficult to figure out what's working Mm -hmm. as far as reaching out to readers. You could have like four or five things going at once. You could have series of BookBub and Amazon ads. You could have also gotten into Facebook ads. Maybe you've increased permafreeze or other incentives to get people to sign up and buy your books. 
I don't know if I have a specific formula there, I, except that you sort of need to try a, a bunch of different things and trust your gut and maybe get a, as clear a feel as possible as to what's resonating. There are people who like the subject of World War II, but they don't want to read any fictional stories about it. Right, they just right. want to read books about battles and um, campaigns and you know mm-hmm. biographies of generals, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are people who, who don't want to read nonfiction about the war. They just want to read fictional stories. And then you've got World War II love stories. And then you've got books that describe uh, fictional characters in big actual battles. So yeah, it's really a tough, tough thing to zero in on. You just got to try a bunch of different things to find those readers. If you've got some data that uh, campaigns produce, it's it's a matter of sticking your nose into it and trying to come to some conclusions. That's probably the toughest part of of being an indie author is you sort of have to build up your own expertises. That takes some time. Can I ask yeah. about you're involved in some Facebook groups where people like World War II and talk about it? Are those I've so I've kind of looked for Facebook groups and there seems to be um, two different types. One is a group where it's it's really people talking about the thing they like. It's, you know, readers talking to other readers, mostly looked for like romance based ones or fantasy ones. Um, and then there's the other kind where it is just people pimping their books. It is just buy my book, yeah. buy my book, buy my book, buy mm-hmm. my book, buy my book. And mm-hmm. I, yeah. I sometimes post in those and I think to myself, every single person in this group is just an author trying to sell their book to a nut. Right. Like it's just authors shouting at other authors, buy my book. To that point, there are some groups out there that have uh, you know a certain set of rules as to what's appropriate, acceptable, mm-hmm. etc. You're you're allowed uh, one announcement for a new book a year because they don't want it just to be a self promotional kind of website. The intent with a lot of these groups, as I'm sure you know, is is to you know provide guidance and answer mm-hmm. questions. And a lot of these groups say, yeah, it's okay if you've just read a book about World War II that you really enjoyed, sure, mention it here. Certainly acceptable. But even those groups go only so far as to help you get established and, and get the word out. So, And do you uh, try and go into those groups and as like as a reader, as a lover of World War II, which I assume you must be, do you try and just organically just join conversations and get into the group that way? Yeah, I think that... Um, yeah, you could certainly be very passive and just, you know, read everybody else's posts. But getting back to the giving back concept, if you've read a great book, let people know about it. What I use groups for a lot, I ask questions that help me put stories together. I'm having trouble finding research about a specific period of time in Italy during the war. I've had a devil of the time finding books or anything online. So I want to use the forum to say, hey, I, I need some help here. And I think mm-hmm. that's where they provide a very valuable service. So they mm-hmm. don't necessarily help you find readers, but you know, maybe after a while, your name becomes familiar to people. You, know, you could say, I'm researching my next book that's called X, and I could use some help. And you know, maybe eventually that pays out at some point. But I think asking for advice 
with independent publishing, there's so many moving parts. If somebody out there can save you from making a mistake, probably saved a lot of time and maybe some money, eliminated some frustration. So some of those groups are, are, are very helpful in that way. It can be difficult, uh, like Kate was saying, sometimes it, not only Facebook groups. I mean, sometimes Twitter just feels like all of us linking to our books constantly. I've backed off from social media lately just because I, I'm worn out. I don't know how much it actually helps. You just hit a point where, where you're kind of done. And I also, because of the pandemic, we're recording this at the end of April, I have lost so many events. A lot of the time, being around other people and talking to other people is what actually gets me like, I get my energy from others. So yeah. like, I, yeah. I have nothing to tweet about right now, guys. It's like, there's <laughs> yeah. hair stuck to my socks. Do you really care? Probably not. That's not a pretty Instagram photo. So Yeah. I think that's a big fear of mine is that... At some point, you worry that people are going to go, oh, geez, not another tweet from this guy. Right. I really worry about that. And uh, I'm very tempted to to sort of do the same thing that you're doing, Mindy, which is just sort of backing off it for a while and mm -hmm. making sure you're not, so to speak, overstaying your welcomes. I think best practice is to just be sure that you're not just using whatever the platform is. Like, yeah. so let's say Twitter. Like if I get on Twitter, cause that's a, a big one for me. If I get on Twitter, um, I don't just get on and post, you know, I scroll through my feed and I see what other people are saying yeah. and I'll respond and I ask questions, you know, and things like that. If you're doing that, if you're actually interacting with the community, it's different than just hopping on and being like, my book's 99 cents today. Peace yeah. out. The pros and cons of social media could be debated until we are yes. all dead, which yep. will probably be sooner than we would like. Um, so, Glenn, is there anything? I think we should leave it there. We'll be dead sooner than we like. Thanks for talking to us. That was great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, really? It's, I think that's true. That's true at any point, right? Like, it's not just a pandemic. It's like, you're, you're probably not going to be ready when it's time to go. No, like, it's I'm, not your call. Yeah, I'm, sh I'm so, sure that'll yeah, be the case. You're right. That's a yeah. great sign-off, Mindy. That's to, like, Thanks. think that. We're hard on that. We're all going to die probably sooner than you'd like. Tune in next week. Maybe. <laughs> Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar. <laughs>